People's Poetry Podcast with me, Jimmy Bowman. Hello and welcome to episode 9 of series 6 of People's Poetry Podcast. This is the poetry and spoken word podcast that follows me, Jimmy Bowman, a teacher and poet myself, as I wander the UK to chat to a range of poets and explore the UK's love affair with poetry. Now this podcast is not just for those who are already into poetry. Our mission, my mission, is to show you that there is poetry for all walks of life and there is something out there written for you. Series 6 was recorded in the middle of the global pandemic, I'm sure you've heard of it, via the magic of Zoom. Series 6, we've decided to hear from you and we have launched our new open mic segment of the podcast. Each episode, we're going to select one of the many submissions we've had. A massive thank you to everyone that has submitted. It's been really tough whittling it down to just nine this series, Uh, but each episode we are going to hear one poem from a new voice from not just the UK, but around the globe. Daddy. Daddy, you're a Tory, and you don't even know. You say you're down with Starmer, but your red tie is just for show. Daddy, you're a Tory, you read the Daily Mail, claim it's for the crossword, but you buy it without fail. Daddy, you're a Tory, you kind of hate the gays, your casual homophobia is culturally ingrained. Daddy, you're a Tory, you're close-minded about race. You use words I won't repeat, your ignorance is my disgrace. Daddy, you're a Tory, you might try and deny you're working class, born and bred, but to your heritage, you lie. Daddy, you're a Tory, I know you'll hate me saying so, but really your views are twisted, you're low-key sexist, and it shows. Daddy, you're a Tory, or confused by politics, no wonder you voted leave, you're a victim of politicians' tricks. Brexit is a fail, why can't you just admit that you're wrong, oh so wrong? The country's gone to shit. Your precious, pompous Britain, crumpled, broken and sore, unable to mend herself because the government hates the poor. They shut all the factories, made the nation unemployed, encouraged zero-hour contracts, were entitled to be annoyed. But it's not really an issue, because it doesn't affect the rich. If the silver spoon suckers are safe, Boris won't care, because he's a prick. You see, Daddy, the fingers with the Tories, they're a glorified boys' club, led by Hancock, Cummings and Gove. So you can't really be a Tory, because you didn't go Eton or Harrow. But Daddy, I still love you. Even if we don't agree, your education failed you, left you too blind to see. All the flaws in our culture, our deplorably Tory society. A massive thanks to Poppy Mabel for sending in her piece. This episode, I sat down with the absolute legend that is Jason Williamson, lead singer of Sleaford Mods. We talk about their brand new album, Spare Ribs, and we dive into Jason's writing process, politics and cultural appropriation. So I'm very excited to be joined by Jason Williamson this episode, uh, the absolute legend of a lead singer of Sleaford Mods. So thank you for taking the time out with your cuppa, sit down and chat. Thank you, woo, thank you, thank you very much. It's as, as wild as it gets at the minute. Uh, in yes. How's, uh, I'm branding it Lockdown 3.0, but recording this series has been a bit of a weird question because the first sort of six people on, I've asked, oh, how's lockdown going? But you're only the second yeah. person I can ask that question where we've got kind of an end goal. 
Yeah, I mean, the end goal is a bit, I'm still, everyone's a bit touchy about it, aren't they? You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. will it be an end goal? Um, I mean, I think the announcement sounded a bit more confident than previous announcements. Mm. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it remains to be seen, doesn't it, really? Um, yeah. well, I'm hoping so, you know. It certainly feels like it's going that way. Hopefully. I think we just run the risk now. The, the classic British sort of, oh, the sun's out, I'm going to go and get trotted in a park, and then we end up getting another spike again because everyone's out. This is the only thing I'm concerned about. And, like, this weekend just gone, people were out in droves, you know. Mm. Yeah. I mean, they don't seem to... I don't know. It's weird, isn't it? It really is. Um, what can you do? Yeah. I mean, I understand... Obviously, people. I mean, everyone's desperate to get out, aren't they? But yeah. I think I think that's what that's what did it before. I I forgot almost until the other day until I saw a picture of the, the beaches, just how full up they got when in the summer when we were supposed to be in lockdown. Oh fucking hell, yeah, big time. Yeah, it's absolutely yeah. madness to think that happened. Anywho, enough enough lockdown. We're going to talk uh, spare ribs. Obviously, new album from Sleaford Mods. Yeah, uh, and and about you as a, as a writer as well because. I suppose, I mean, you're not strictly a poet. A lot of people refer to you as, you know, a sort of Brexit poet. I think I've seen branded about <laughs> <for> you <laughs> um, and, and things like that. But certainly your lyricism lends itself to the spoken word sort of uh, performance, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. Is poetry something you were ever interested in at the start of your sort of writing career, as it were, or... Is it, is it always been more lyricism? Yeah, lyricism, really. The poetry, I was just not interested in at all, and still I'm not, really. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I don't... Uh, I don't know if I'd have been exposed to it as a, a younger age, perhaps so, but I've not really found any motivation to try and introduce myself to it as I've sort of gone on in later life. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, is that a good thing? Perhaps, I don't know. You know, I, I used to... I went through a period of thinking that being influenced by something would hinder your work because if you were powerfully influenced by something, uh, it might it might be obvious in your own sort of expression, creative expression. Yeah, I'm now I'm now, in, I'm now under the impression that's just stupid. I think <laughs> I think if if you're into something, you're into it, and you'll use it accordingly. You know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so. Yeah, you know, I've, but I've never found the motivation to read any. Do you know what I mean? I still don't. You know what I mean? I think it's a bit of a, it's still a bit of a dirty word with some people, poetry as well, because they have flashbacks to it being sort of forced down their throat at school or they, they think it's a bit poncy, don't they? Especially if they come from, like I, I myself from working class background and I know I know you yeah. are. So I think, yeah. especially, especially in the communities we grew up in, to, to turn around and be like, oh, just read a bit of poetry, people would look at you like what yeah i think it's a really it's a double-edged sword in it because it's like number one anybody that says they're a poet i automatically think fuck off you're not <laughs> I know you're gonna be shit i know it's going to be cliched ridden bullshit and if it's not then i still i still resent them for calling themselves a poet <laughs> you know, it's like it's kind of i don't know i don't want to sound like noel gallagher or something you know yeah writing things off but it's like it really annoyed me because i don't find a lot of wordsmiths very good you know what i mean but then again i don't read a lot of poetry so what do i know you know yeah i'm not sure if i don't know you know the, the, there there's got to be some powerful wordsmiths out there of course there are you know 
Um, but um, on the other hand, though, uh, what what can you what are you expected to call yourself if that's what you think you are? You know, mm. what's wrong with calling yourself a poet? You know what I mean? Yeah. Why, why not reclaim it if you feel that you're integral enough? Then why not reclaim that that thing? I just think it's been hijacked by a lot of people that don't deserve that accolade. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think that's why I've always, I don't know, felt uncomfortable with the label. I guess the stuff that I've written is is, is poetry and, and that took me a long time to sort of accept. Exactly, but yeah, sure. At, at the same time, I think, you know, if if I did have someone like, you you know, you've got Andrew and I put some of the stuff I'm writing, it would fit probably better with music behind it and it, yeah. more of a song than it would maybe in a book, in a library as a poem. Yeah. I think when I've read mine out just on my own, uh, you have to change tack with it totally. Uh, and it almost, sometimes you get it wrong and it's too dramatic or, you know, you're putting too much into it. So it's really tricky to get it right when you're doing it just on your own. Is that something you do much of then, just performing? No, no, no a few times, a few readings, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's always felt okay, but it doesn't, it felt like I kind of missed it a little bit. You know, I think even reciting your own works perhaps needs rehearsing. Do you know what I mean? If yeah. It's your own, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, there, there's a lot of people that listen to this that when they recite their, their work, they, they do this certain delivery and, and that's fine. But it, you yeah. know what I mean? That, that, that classic spoken word poetic delivery. Yeah. Um, but that's something I've never, ever again felt fitted the words I was trying to say. And I always felt like a bit of a knob if, if I tried to do that. So I've sort yeah. of got into the habit of just standing up and reading it as I would. And I don't know if that's a good thing or whether that's deemed as lazy. I don't know. Yeah, very true. And I think this is, this is where, that's the unknown territory that is brilliant about that though. Just in what you've just said there, it's, that's brilliant because you just don't know, and, but you just try, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That is, the, that is the essence to it all. And I think that is, that is the way forward, isn't it? You know, you'll get to a point where you'll, you'll have this thing where you'll feel good about it, I guess. Can you remember the first time then that you actually tried to write what were lyrics then? Uh, yeah, when I was a kid. Probably, probably 10. Yeah. Write some punk lyrics for a band that I was going to go and sing for. Okay. And they were all of, you know, kind of dissatisfaction, boredom. I think we'd he borrowed heavily from the Sex Pistols. Mm. I remember writing them in my friend's bedroom, you know, and then uh, going up to uh, going up to my stepfather's um, sort of... Uh, you know, he, he owned this building company, so you go into the massive garage there that was full of diggers or whatever. And then we set up the band there, and um, I started trying to recite these lyrics I'd written. Yeah, was that was that sort of what triggered you to do it full time after having that's not full time, but continue trying to write lyrics after that experience, or did you find it was saying you sort no, of fell in and out of? Yeah, I kind of like got scared out of that because the drummer just started laughing, so that kind of completely put me off. <laughs> right. And then, and then um, uh, after that, probably 17, 16, 17, I started doing it. I went, I went back to college to do GCSEs uh, in the summer of 1988. And then I got in with a load of grammar school boys who, you know, I was totally taken by with all this interesting music. Mm. You know, I've never heard of stuff like Led Zeppelin or Cream or 
you know, all of these kind of like advanced rock bands. And uh, I got into indie music, into the wonder stuff and all that. And I started writing lyrics with a, a band that I joined at college. Okay. So I, I always f- ask that question, especially for people of a similar background, because I mean, I don't know where, where your head's at now, but I think I always ask people, oh, do, do you sit down and make time to write? But for working class people like myself I guess I always feel like if I've got time to sit down and write that that is a massive fucking luxury at the end of the day I feel a bit odd saying right I'm going to dedicate an hour to writing or something like that and I think this is the guilt that runs through us isn't it from from that you know right off and there's so many variations of of guilt within people from working class backgrounds isn't there and I guess through everyone but especially those who feel that we are now at a point where we're quite privileged, you know what I mean? But it's interesting you feel like that. That's that's super sensitive, that is, mate. I'd, I'd lose that one. Don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 it's almost like I could hear... Uh, like my granddad or something going what what you why aren't you down a pit working or something something like that <laughs> do you know what I mean it's like what are you fannying about with words for go and do something useful yeah. but but yeah I, I don't my know was like he didn't he didn't want me to go to work in a factory and I said I was going he was really disappointed yeah do you know what I mean that's that's that yeah, yeah that's that's what I mean I think it's sort of yeah like the, the creative yeah. world and working class has never gone hand in hand really has it no not not really not at all you've talked about doing uh readings of uh, not often but of your your lyrics because your your lyrics were released into two books weren't they uh, the publishers two books grammar wanker yeah. and um it's house party is the other one isn't it yeah. Uh, yeah and they i mean what was the feedback like for that because i've i've got a copy of uh grammar wanker which i think is an amazing title <laughs> but they work just as well for me on the page as they do uh, when you put on a, a Sleaford Mods record, what, what was the reception like? Did you find that it opened up sort of interest from a new area of fandom or was it very much the devout fans that went away? Yeah, I mean, it was Christian from Bracket Press who suggested doing it. Yeah. He came up with the name of the book as well. Um, I wasn't too keen. I just thought it'd be stupid. <laughs> I couldn't see how they would work yeah. on paper. Do you know what I mean? But as soon as he got the first draft in, it made complete sense, you know. And yeah. then when it was released, it got picked up. There was an article in The Guardian with it or whatever, you know, all those sort of broadsheet papers had a nod at it. And it got loads of accolades from everyone, really. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah. I mean, yeah, they, they are as i said quite sought after i think i think there's a, a few you can pick up online still via the official outlets but you see them crop up on on ebay and in groups all the time people trying to get at them so there, there's definitely there, something is there, in there. there no more, there's no more are they not in yeah yeah they, they are that's, that's what i'm saying there's a few there but i don't think people know where to look so whenever yeah, i sure, this is the thing because whenever i put the link up people go mad for it so yeah i, I don't it's, probably good. It's, it's kind of good that it's kind of under the radar i guess i don't know I love the uh, the cover of House Party as well with the uh, the Gallagher quote on the front. Fantastic! Isn't it? Fantastic. <laughs> was that a, was that a decision that came from you to have that on the front? No, that was again Christian designed. All, he designs all everything. Um, doesn't I, we don't really talk about uh, the kind of ins and outs of it. He just does it. Claire did the um, my partner, our manager as well did the uh, penis on the front. <laughs> of, uh, I think it was a uh, reprint on the first one. 
uh, and it's in the house party as well. So that's become kind of synonymous with it. Um, but apart from that, no, I don't have any hand in it. Do you know what I mean? They just chuck it out, uh, you know, sort of send it over their idea, his ideas for it. And I just give it the okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think it's a great idea. Uh, it's it's not something I was thinking about this uh, when I was sort of putting together questions to put to you. It's it's not something I've, that would work with a lot of lyricists, I don't think, as well. Um, no, fucking hell, definitely not. <laughs> I don't want to blow my own trumpet, but fucking hell, this is not a shit record. Imagine what they're going to sound like on paper. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's what I mean. What I mean, a bit of a Justin Bieber, baby, baby, baby. <laughs> Oh, all that all yeah. that bollocks yeah talking about lyricism and and you sort of that's that's your route into this sort of spoken word i don't know sort of car park ballpark that you're in because i mean you are a musician and a lyricist first and foremost but as i said it works well on the page and i've heard you speak about weller quite a few times and weller's someone for me growing up i guess before i'd even seen a poem I, there was something always poetic I thought to to Weller's lyrics because I like you I used I used to be a mod when I was growing up yeah um, yeah and just some of these turns of phrases in that and I think you know where he come from maybe not working working class but certainly suburbia as well and he didn't really shy away from that in some of his lyricisms was was he one of a few people that perhaps helped uh, you sort of kickstart writing lyrics um yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah, without doubt. You know, I think I think he, you know, it's it's interesting. Someone brought it up the fact that he was not working class, and I always thought he was. I thought his old man was a builder, wasn't he? Mm, uh, I've always thought he, he was, yeah, to a degree. I don't think. Yeah, he... I, I think, uh, but I think his old man was kind of obviously he was his manager, wasn't he? Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, obviously had a bit about him. Um, but I would I would say, judging from his childhood home, which looks like some terrorist house, that he's definitely from working class ill, you know what I mean? But yeah, um, yeah. regardless regardless of that, I think, yeah, I was really inspired by his uh period in the jam particularly. Um and you know, he did some great ones in the Star Council. Mm. They're a little bit more clever in the Star Council, but in the jam. They were kind of, he was listening, he was reading a lot of poetry as well, wasn't he? You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I can't reel off what he was, but I can remember in countless interviews him sort of citing various poets as influences and writers as influences. So, um, yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, the kind of deadpan delivery of what he did and also the kind of everyday descriptions of, of things, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's tracks like, I mean, obvious tracks like That's Entertainment, I think it's got to be one of the first times, especially as a, you know, 12-year-old kid that I thought, that is a poem, surely. That is sort of, it's, yes. it's very poetic, That's Entertainment. Yeah, I think so. I think, um, yeah, he's a real he's a real strange cat, Paul Weller, isn't he? I mean, he does a lot of stuff. Uh, he just doesn't hang around in one little place, does he? No. And you know, his decision to break the jam was, you know, in a lot of respects, cemented their legacy, you know what I mean? But yeah, you know, he, I kind of after the jam, his lyricism became more broader, I think. Uh, it wasn't sort of cramped and claustrophobic yeah. as it was when he was doing those albums. I think the uh, the Style Council is definitely 
a, a group I got into when I was a bit older. I don't think I ever really got them when I was young, but the jam. They the were jam real, loved. yeah. It was almost like an in joke, wasn't it? A lot of the time, and I don't know if that kind of communicated well outside of their own bubble. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You've got what a lot of people would say as a really distinctive voice, and I don't mean like the sound of your voice. I mean the actual sort of content and your and your turn of phrase. How long did it take before you sort of found your voice in your writing? Because that's that's something a lot of new writers struggle with, and obviously. As a, a writer at the beginning, you do churn out a lot of shit when you go back and look at it. Yeah. Um, what was that that journey like for you? Because I suppose now, I mean, Sleaford Mods, you're, I've seen so, it like your six album, but I, I count, I'm sure it was more than six that you've put out. There's like, when you yeah. go through your discography, there's loads. So, and you're, you've always got that sort of constant turn of phrase, that sharp sort of observational stuff within yeah. your lyricism. Yeah. So what, what was that journey like? How long was was it quite a long, lengthy process to get where you are today? Um, yeah, it was. Yeah, it took me ages, years. You know what I mean? Um, mm. I was just writing. I mean, the lyrics were okay when I was doing like instrument stuff, band stuff, you know, but they just weren't very, they were very self-pitying, you know, sort of influenced by just feeling shit all the time, drug come downs, just self-pity, blah, blah, blah. Not really anything... It was only when I started to get to my mid-30s that I started to take a look around the world around me and why I was so miserable all the time, you know? Yeah. Was, was Did perhaps the mechanics of society have something to do with that? Uh, and, um, you know, then I started thinking about, you know, sort of, sort of learning how to critically think almost, you know what I mean? Um, and that's when they started getting more interesting. Um, so it was a, a kind of journey, you know what I mean? And it, and it, it I, I wrote a lot of shit for a long, long, long time, you know, and could never understand why I hadn't hit anything at the age of 30 or, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? It's like, why haven't I got anywhere yet? You know what I mean? I've got yeah. this ability, but why haven't I got anywhere? You know, and it, you just have to learn, don't you? You know, you've spoken publicly a lot about obviously kicking uh, drugs and drinks and things yeah. like that. Do you think that process helps with the writing or do you think it just ch- like turned the writing on its head? Because you know, there's a lot of, especially in the media, when you talk about writers, there's there's this sort of, oh, the, the self-deprecating, the self-loathing writer who is riddled with, yeah. you know, their addictions yeah. and that, uh, yeah. which I, I think is bollocks. Like, but yes. do you think that that changed your writing at all when you decided that enough was enough? Um, I think, no, um, I don't know. I think it just prolonged it. it. It guaranteed the fact that it had a future. I think if I'd have carried on taking drugs and drinking, mm. I would have destroyed myself, you know. So the, the career would have gone down the pan. We'd have probably released a really shit album, you know, sort of 2017, 18, it would have got really shit. Yeah. And be on the demise, you know, and playing to 200 people in, in, you know, clubs across the country or whatever. So it would have gone like that, I think. So, yeah, it, 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 it needed to change. Was I worried about it? Um, no, not really. I didn't really see the drugs as fueling the lyrics. I think my sort of, you know, newly adopted class consciousness or my uh my awareness of where i come from and how that perhaps affected me as a person changed the lyrics so it didn't need drugs you know what i mean i yeah. needed to get those quick sharpish 
I think the, the myth about the tortured artist is there have been some artists that have been very good about documenting their journey through, uh, you know, substance abuse. And that's where it, that's just where it ends. You know what I mean? It's like, that doesn't mean to say that that is the be all and end all because it's not, you know, I know mm. a lot of people that struggle with drugs that, that write shit music. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or with alcohol that just it's just not very good you know what i mean i know a few of those <laughs> <laughs> yeah let's talk about spare ribs i mean this is Ooh. an absolute beast of an album i think um yeah congratulations on it i mean it does talk about the pandemic and lockdown it's it's full of politics there's bits about your childhood in there so it's uh -huh. a, bit, a bit of a mixed bag are you pleased with the reception it's got because i heard you say in some of your sort of earlier interviews as it was coming out you were you were worried that people might be bored with you <laughs> you lot now um, yeah. but were you pleased because yeah. it seems like a lot of people have connected it seems like this album is for some reason and maybe you'll be able to shed light on it more accessible to to people than perhaps some of your yeah. other albums fucking weird isn't it yeah really can't shed any light on it <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> so, i don't know i mean i was worried about that because we released all that glue, the compilation yeah. last year. And then to then have your PR send out like whatever to the same people going, oh yeah, they got an album out this year. <laughs> 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 You're just like, all oh, right. Would not only that, but would the public be jarred off with it? We released an album every two years, you know what I mean? Mm. So we knew it was good. We really I, I was really happy with it. It was. It felt weird because it was a bit more commercial, and I was just concerned that. So watch just another Sleeper Mods album. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it it turned out to be pinnacle album of our career. You know what I mean? Not the pinnacle, but the the best one so far. You know. So in a lot of people's eyes, so it's fucking hard, isn't it? You know what you do. You know. I, I mean, they're great songs. It's like we worked hard at them. Wanted to do something different. We did that, but yeah, and the rest is uh, up to the gods, isn't it? Yeah, I think releasing all that glue beforehand probably, I probably helped it a bit as well because it, it wasn't an album album as such, was it? It was sort of all the, the the B sides and rarities that perhaps didn't make it onto albums. You know, there were yeah. so songs on that like you know Jolly Fucker, which is probably yeah. one of the first yeah. songs I was ever played of you guys back when when that came out, and and people still love those songs, don't they? Like Job Seeker. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, they don't like, they don't never leave the set, you know. They're kind of like staple classics yeah. for for real, you know what I mean? So yeah, it's just it's just really it surprised me in the sense that six albums in, how can you rejuvenate your career? You know, it's really hard to do that, isn't it? Mm, you know, yeah. this album seems to have done that for us, and I'm not fucking complaining, man. <laughs> do you know what I mean? But, <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. The, the... It's, um, you just do your job and that's it you know and um whatever comes afterwards is like it's a bonus isn't it yeah the title itself spare ribs i've heard you you speak about and um obviously the the, the cover is based on a did you say the briefings the the political oh, yeah yeah the briefings that came out i mean for anyone who hasn't heard you speak about the title spare ribs where did where did spare ribs come from well, just in the fact that we're just like cattle herded about, aren't we, from one fucking pen to the other. And mm. regardless, you know, some of us might fall down, but no one gives a shit. And, 
you know, the rest of us have to, you know, get whipped into the next field, you know what I mean, to a certain degree. Uh, and particularly with the way that they um, approached the pandemic, um, just putting the economy first, just shitting themselves, didn't want to completely break down society. Mm. Uh, but why not? You know, surely a modern government would have things in place, you know. Uh, but there was talk about protocols in place, being in place. I don't know if it was for Trump or for us. I think it was for Trump, actually, that he just discarded. This was like a year ago or something, two years ago or something. And it just makes you think, well, ours were just, in a way, quite similar, you know. They just didn't give a shit. It was more about the economy. So we are literally just spare fucking ribs, aren't we, you know? And and it links to which which steam still to me seems ridiculous for that whole eat out to help out as well. Like when when I hear the title spare ribs, like it reminds me of how ridiculous that was as well in the middle of well, a it, pandemic. Yeah, and and yet you don't know because I went out. You know, me me and my partner went out. Mm. We sat in a fucking restaurant. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's same. Like, and it's like we just thought, yeah, that's all right then. But this is it, isn't it? You are, they're just fucking donkeys. Yeah. Um, it's infuriating to the point, it's just senselessly infuriating. So, yeah, uh, you know, when that, I thought to myself, that's the name, that's the name of the album, because we were struggling right until the last minute. I was like, what the fuck are we going to call it? <laughs> and it just came to me, bang, spare ribs. Politics, especially in spoken word and poetry, tends to divide the room. Whenever I speak to a few writers that, that write about politics, and um, they always say how, especially in the in the arty world, that it sort of divides it. People are like, oh, don't shouldn't shouldn't be talking about anything to do with politics. Keep keep it light, sort of thing. But um, yeah. I, and I, I do think that perhaps there is a lack of it in, in music and literature these days. Is that something you've ever considered? Do you think there is a lack of politics in uh, like the the music that's out there widely available at the minute? I think like just stuff that's hit hits home, yeah. Like whoa, whoa, I know that, yeah, mm. I know, that. I know, I feel that. There is definitely, yeah. Uh, I think the best kind of political speaking songs, you know, usually really comes from the lower echelons, isn't it? But there just isn't a lot about. I think you know, if anything, reminds me of the the slow death of this country or rather the accelerating death of this country, it's probably drill or grime, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or UK hip-hop, where they just talk about pressures of trying to exist, uh, you know, whether they're dealing drugs or whatever, you know what I mean? Um, that is, I guess, the most political thing I'm listening to at the minute. But apart from that, forget it, you know what I mean? Definitely. Mm. Uh, writers' books, perhaps, uh, are more engaging with that than music i would say yeah i was trying to think of like a a decent example of i mean anything music wise or or even on tv and I, it reminded me of that armando uh Iannucci when he they said to him around the brexit time i think it was about is he going to do another thick of it and he turned around and said there's literally no point like the reality is too farcical now that this satire would have to go beyond that and that should just be un unbelievable yeah i mean that's fucking bleak isn't it <laughs> when like you actually can't do anything because yeah whatever you were planning to do is, is already being realistically uh, executed you know what i mean 
And it, it is. I've watched, especially during the pandemic, I've watched some of these interviews with, you know, Matt Hancock and Pierce Morgan going at him like a pit bull. And just Hancock's replies, I feel like I'm watching the thick of it or he's, he's just got it so spot on. And it is a sorry state of affairs, isn't yeah. it? When, when yes. that, that's happening, you're thinking this is as good as a sitcom that was written, what, almost 10 years ago? Yeah, and, and there'll be no retribution either. You could just hope that, you know, kind of, you know, uh, at some point these people suffer in, in whatever ways, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, it's, it's just too much, yeah, definitely. I agree. So on, on Spare Ribs, you've got tracks like Shortcomings uh, and Out There, which are politicised tracks, aren't yeah. they? Um, yeah. and and especially out there i think some of the some of the imagery on this album is, is just raw and ugly and i think you've managed to catch like ca- the cabin fever and the stress of lockdown particularly well in tracks like that but Thank with you. tracks like shortcomings i mean that's 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 a really good example of what I'm, I'm, i think is missing from from be it lyrics or music is just direct sort of reactionary uh, opinions and views on the, the shit that's affecting all of our lives yeah yeah fucking hell big time um i don't know you know i mean it's always been it's always meant something me it's always meant so much to uh to me to um to write stuff that really can't be that critic it can't be criticized because it's just there it's on the nail you know what i mean mm. it's it's basically written but it's like really you can feel it you know and it takes, I don't know, it doesn't really take balls to do that. You've just got to be honest with yourself and just put stuff that isn't attractive into your lyrics, you know what I mean? Yeah. We do it in a way that where it just flows nice, you know. And I know that's kind of not not much help in, in, in the way of describing it, but yeah, definitely. Um, as If you do that, I'm happy, you know. I've I've heard you speak about how lockdown didn't really changed the, the recording side of of the album you know you, you yeah. i think you said you just put on a mask and cracked on with it sort of thing yeah yeah <laughs> but in terms of your writing process when it was just you and the lyrics did lockdown have any sort of impact on that writing process because th- i've been asking a lot of writers i've had on this series that and they all seem to have different answers some of them have said you know actually i had a lot of time to reflect because there was fuck all else to do so I, I could write loads other people have said it absolutely just shut down any creative fiber they had in them what what was it the effect like on your actual lyric writing process if any um none really i just it was the same um you just look out and you know then look in don't you and internally there was a little bit more uh inspiration from from my own character and my own history do you know what i mean Mm. Uh, as well as obviously experiences of lockdown i mean you could have really fucked it up with the lockdown thing and just turned it into some obvious bullshit and which i didn't want to do so it was more of a challenge even more of a challenge i guess to kind of come up with something that wasn't yeah cheesy and even you know stuff like top room and out there i was worried about because i thought they were too obvious you know what i mean i thought i'd overstepped the mark particularly also with the album cover as well and when it came to it, I was like, fuck, have we just done something a little bit too obvious here, you know? See, it's interesting to say that because I, I I, feel like pandemic writing is a flooded market, as you say at the oh, minute, God, yeah. everyone. But I feel out there has done 
something arguably I've not seen replicated at all in terms of describing like the bit where you're talking about, you know, people making chit chat, strangers were talking to you, but yeah. you, even though you did miss that sort of connection with people, you still would be like, fuck off. I'm trying to do my shopping. I don't want to talk to, to you. You know, it's like, and you know, just things like that used to wind me up. But these are, these are only put, you know, these are only executed when you really feel it. And then you're like, oh, you know, fuck, I'm putting that because that is something that was a, a thing to me about it. You know what I mean? Mm. No, I, I, I don't think it was personally, I don't think, I think you've done a good job there avoiding that cliche, cliche bollocks, as you put it. <laughs> <laughs> you talked about um, going into yourself maybe a little bit more and, and thinking about your history. Tracks like Mork and Mindy, I suppose, are, are those childhood memories you've yeah. got. And yeah nostalgia perhaps and I was going to ask you about writing and nostalgia because for me whenever I write about childhood or, or nostalgia more I, it's a bit of an odd one because I always feel like sometimes um, nostalgia warps things like my memories of things I, I'm always questioning when I've written it down is that what happened or have is that something I've constructed all these years later is that something yeah. you get with when you're writing like nostalgic tracks like that about about your childhood yeah, I think a little bit. I think look, all of the things in um, sort of stuff like Fish Case and Mork and Mindy were memories uh, that stuck with me. Mm. You know, other memories of smelling egg and bacon, you know, in, in outside the house on a Saturday afternoon or Saturday morning, you know, uh, while you're playing. You know, stuff like that stays with you forever. And I think although the finer details of each of those experiences and memories are obviously not there. Uh, the, the overall characteristic is, you know what I mean, with yeah. each one of them. So it was easy, it was fairly easy to sort of like shift that into a song, but I needed something to kickstart that off, you know what I mean, obviously. So the whole thing with my back injury and this operation I had as a kid, you know, and also my day-to-day -day living with my own son, who, you know, I'm always out the house, you know, so lockdown is, it's given me this opportunity to be there every day with the kids and that. Yeah. You just start comparing that with your, with your own son and, and then, you, you know, looking at your boy and thinking, well, that was me back then with this elf issue. Um, how must my mum, you know, how, how did she, 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 it must have been fucking horrible, you know what I mean? Mm. So you, you start all of these things. And I, I guess some of it is a little bit self-pity, but also this helped regurgitate that period, you know, and I wanted to pay homage to, to those roots as well. I felt I needed to justify those roots on a record for a change, you know what I mean? Yeah. Of growing up on an estate uh, in the early 70s. Uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of proud of it in a bizarre way, even though I couldn't wait to get out. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's exa exactly the same as me. I think I think that does come through on, on a lot of the tracks. It's this odd, this odd notion of being proud of where you're from. But just like you, all I wanted to do was get out of the sort of... My, my yeah. school was on the estate that we lived and grew up in. Yes, in South of course, London. yeah. So yeah, yeah. you were there all the time and there's that lion in yeah. Mork and Mindy and it, it took me back to being stuck in a shitty science room staring out yeah. the window where you, yeah. you talk about you wanted it to smell like meadows, not like hell. 
Um, yeah. And it just took me straight back to that moment of my life. But but you are, maybe it's in retrospect, I don't know, but you are always proud, I feel, like you said, of, of that area that you came from and you always stick up for it, even though you were the first out the door when the opportunity arose sort of thing. I was, I could come 16, 17 actually, when I went to college and met a new group of friends, that was it. Yeah. I look back on, I did, I turned my back on all that. Do you know what I mean? That was it. I was gone. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's an odd one, but I, I find myself writing about the estate I grew up on all the time, but yeah, yeah. It's, yeah it's, 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 it's odd. Your writing definitely focuses on um, finding sort of joy in negativity as well. I guess that links to what we were just saying about the, this feeling of pride where you come from, even though you've gone, but even though you talk about negative things, there's, you do find this sort of joyful way of doing it sometimes a lot of the time through humor, which is another thing, you know, you associate with working class, you know they're always yeah. laughing and joking yeah. even in the shittest virus yeah. circumstances yeah is that something you consciously try to do or does it just come out as as like quite funny sometimes yeah i mean it com- just comes out as funny um yeah. not consciously no i think it's just you just naturally do it mm. to try and have a laugh um there are some funny moments on the last record but i don't think I think the humour is slowly disappearing in some respects. I don't know. Perhaps we're becoming too, you know, we learned the art subtlety, you know, with the record, with with the music, with the with the pop formulas, and I think that's becoming even more apparent. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, whenever it's there, it's, it's just done naturally, um, because you can't because you're not supposed to, are you? You know, mm. you can't be funny. You know, funny isn't cool. You've got to be cool. <laughs> got to be dramatic you've got to come across as you know a god you know mysterious you know <laughs> being funny is not fucking you can't do that yeah and so it alienates people you know if you try and do something funny on the internet people you know we get good reactions but a lot of people are like what are you doing that for because you're supposed to be cool aren't you yeah <laughs> like, it's bullshit it's fucking bullshit when I knew you were coming on, I sort of reread bits of this. Oh, um, Happy Days, which is some short stories that you wrote. And mm. honestly, I forgot how good they were. Um, Seriously? Yeah, some of, some of those stories, I think, uh, like some of the characters you come up with yeah. are just are like shockingly ordinary, but they're shocking, but they're just yeah. so very ordinary ordinary yeah and i just i just think even in that you found joy in some negative situations oh god yeah i mean they're all like taken for people i knew you know mm. that's what made me buy it originally because i love i fucking love just watching people in pubs oh god yeah all these people you know aircon john ponytail day all of them and you just yes. you just start yeah. jotting down these names and little mannerisms yes. and, and what you've done oh, is just, put them into a into a book so i was going to ask you about that are they all like based on or loosely based on just yeah they're either based on me or they're based on people i knew you know what i mean yeah and then just massively amplified what i tried to do was distort the reality of each character so much and then bring in loads of other things whether it be i don't know personal preferences towards kinks or whatever you know to try and lob that into the story as well because you're not supposed to are you but i don't i'm, I'm really not convinced by it in hindsight uh I've, I've, i spend a lot of time feeling massively disappointed about happy days and 
and uh, Slabs of Paradise. I'm not sure if writing's my forte, you know what I mean? No, I really enjoyed Happy Day. I think I think with Happy Days, as you just kind of said, the way the, some of the stories are structured, it's like this happens and then all of a sudden it completely switches to something else in their day. But, yeah. the, but there is that link and it just it made it feel more realistic in a way because I think in novels it just takes ages to get from A to B to C whereas yeah, sure, yours was just sure. like right they're, they're, like the opening story in it for example in the car in the traffic jam then all of a sudden you're in the house and then all of a yes. sudden they're in the chip yeah. shop so you know I mean yeah. it's I, I liked how sort of almost cutthroat it was because that's what that's what day-to-day life is like you don't know what I think what's so yeah I, I really couldn't be doing with like the whole building a skeletal thing around it it really didn't appeal to me so I'm glad you see that actually that's really nice of you thank you no I, I really enjoyed it I did I got it I actually got it for a birthday present so there you go oh there you go they, they knew me well um one track I've not seen much discussion about online when uh spare ribs come out was uh all day ticket and i for me it's it's one of the tracks that it is more of a classic sleaford sound if you like compared to yeah. sort of morecambe mindy which is a bit of a newer i mean hats yeah. off hats off to andrew for that because the the morecambe mindy beat is it just once you've heard it it's all day it's too much it? it's yeah. too much oh, i love it i love it and yeah, really, yeah. really no mates vocals as well um, oh it's fucking fantastic yeah yeah but all day ticket obviously slightly and there are a few other tracks on the album that are this classic sort of sleaford mod sound but i wondered if you could talk to me about that track because i think the the sort of refrain you've got in it where about it slowly um i can't remember the line now what is it where it's uh slowly and slowly uh, will you talk what's that refrain now go on go on go on uh, what in the verses or the chorus uh, it's the last line of each verse i think Oh, because if you get past it, yeah, 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 not, yeah, not so bad. It just takes it out. Takes of you. It out of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just wondered if you could talk about that track because for me, that that's quite a haunting line. That and it stays with yeah. me every time I hear that track. I think that's just about really that we. I wrote that with somebody in mind uh, who um, refused to uh, to to uh, bear any responsibility for his own actions uh, and ended up back in a job that he'd left a while back and he discusses this kind of personal failure and mm. whether or not you know in order to overcome that do you sort of study the reasons why you're back there uh, and you know are you going to be honest with yourself about it if a lot of it was down to your own personal failings you know what I mean yeah uh, and he talks about you know the grind of getting back into a shit job uh that you know is going to beat you about uh but eventually you get used to it and you carry on you know and i wanted to try and paint that picture without actually having a right go at the individual you know what i mean uh and just swearing and calling him a cunt for like three <laughs> minutes <laughs> it was just no good i just i wanted to try and bring because i knew i know exactly what it's going to feel like because i've been there so many times before Mm. So I wanted to try and, uh, you know, put that experience into um, somebody else's experience, if you know what I mean. Yeah, well, it worked because as soon as I heard it, all I could think of was that that circular narrative of just bar jobs I had for years. I think yeah, I, I worked sure, in pubs sure. for like eight years and I was like, I'd leave and I'd be like, right, I'm out of that now. And then yeah. give it, give it yeah. like a year, I'd be back behind a bar somewhere. Yeah, sure. Fucking hell, you know, it's like it's hard work. It is, mm. 
but I, rather than kind of like a revenge song or whatever, it was like, why not just talk about how the fuck is feeling? You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, so I wanted to try and do something like that with the lyrics, definitely. Another element to your writing, and it's again something we see and hear throughout Spare Ribs, is this notion of truth and, and how important it is to you to just talk the truth and, and be true to yourself or to whatever it is you're trying to write about. And you get branded a lot as outspoken because you tell the truth, because you have because <laughs> you have these these spats with other artists or you just say what you think, don't you? Um, and I think I've heard you say somewhere before that people just get on with people publicly for you know for the for the sake of their careers and that yeah. and I think that one track is elocution that you've spoken about on on various podcasts and interviews yeah. but that certainly yeah. harbors this idea of, of just just truth and why it's so important to you I guess yeah you just like and, and it's so presence it's like everywhere it languishes in so many people and some of these people are they don't hide it very well and it's quite clear what they're about and then other people hide it quite well and then it only comes out the last minute mm. uh you know i mean i'm tossing all this judgment around and i'm just i can just be as big a cunt as anyone uh i can be a careerist or whatever you know but i do think that um i don't i don't trade on you know i don't let my insecurities like that force me into bad decision making or into personas that uh, are ultimately not their own you know what I mean yeah yeah uh, uh, and um, so that's why you have an issue with it so elocution nudge it those things talk about those kinds of people and um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that criticizing those people why not you know I think the older you get uh, it gets thrown back at you because you're old and bitter and over the fence. So this is why you've got these attitudes, you know what I mean? Mm. Uh, which is bullshit. But, you know, that's the only thing you've got to combat, really. Uh, and I'll carry on doing it. Why not? You know? I think I think as well, it's, you can tell when something's authentic and something's not. And, and it does take away from you know what, what what you're creating your creative project and you talk about i think in nudge it about class tourism and cultural appropriation is something a lot of people talk to you about because because you are outspoken on on that and it reminds me i think i've heard you talk about the, the high-rise example yeah and i i got shortlisted for some writing thing last year and it, i had to do a video and i i thought right well, this poem is about the town I grew up in. Uh, I'm yeah. going to go back to the estate that we went to school yeah. on and grew up in yeah. around. And I remember doing some like spoken word to a camera and I thought, if people I know are looking out, I look like an idiot for one. Well, um, no, but you actually come from there, don't but, you? But that's what I thought. The second thing is, why would you come to somewhere that you have no affiliation with to 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 try and portray yourself as coming from this the people from there don't want to be associated with there after time so what well, i was going to say what in your opinion why do you think there is this sort of obsession with trying to uh, depict yourself as working class because i think of blur and the whole mockney thing uh, which was probably the earliest example in my life i thought with these people don't talk like that normally they're not from these no. areas no, so it's, it's weird. It's fucking weird. Mm. I mean, 
I don't know. It's just like, it, it just feels like it's more interesting, doesn't it, to a lot of people. I guess a lot of people feel that they want to connect themselves to that because it looks good. It sounds good. It feels good. It will make them look good uh, when, you know, their own lives and experiences could be equally as effective if they just use their imagination uh, and set about trying to communicate that um, in, in an effective way, you know. Yeah. We, we all suffer in life, some more than others, obviously. Uh, but, uh, you know, nobody is, uh, uh, nobody is a stranger to pain. So, you know, why, why try and communicate that kind of emotion whilst using uh, imagery, uh, uniforms that really aren't really in your uh, field of experience as an individual, you know what I mean? Mm. Uh, I think it's a, there's a real list. Uh, it just really fucking pisses me off, to be honest. And it's like, even, even now, people still repeat these things. They still, it's, it's just like a, it's just, it just gets bigger. It, to me, it just seems like it gets bigger each year. You know, there's, there's someone doing something even worse. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, I mean, as you said, it is weird. It, it's always, it's always hurt my head thinking about it. Cause I think, well, the media, they do demonize the, the working class, the, the government and austerity. They do victimize the working class. Yet here you've got these creatives trying to pretend that they are from that era just to further their, their creative endeavor and as you said we're, we're everyone's felt pain before why can't they uh you know give their version of pain from a world that they're from it doesn't make it less interesting i guess does it no um why would you be filmed walking past a, a row of council houses mm. to your album mm. you don't fucking live in it you know it's fault and you know, with the high with the high rise thing, I mean that is just a fucking no no. It's a taboo. You don't do that shit. Uh, so yeah, it just really angers me. You know, um, it just really pisses me off. I understand that the lines are blurred sometimes, and uh, you know, if anyone could throw that accusation at anyone, I guess. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. who, am I, who am I to criticise anyone in my uh, leafy suburban home in the middle of a nice middle class area? But it's, it, you know, these things are infinitely complicated. But really, at the end of the day, they're not. You know what I mean? And you've got two choices. You can either be a wanker or not be a wanker, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a good, uh, it's a good motto to, to live by. <laughs> 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 I was going to ask you before... I sort of wrap up and I've, I've got some questions about editing pieces of writing and stuff that I usually ask the writers just because okay. it's interesting to see how writers vary and stuff but I can't not ask you about some of the people you've worked with in the past heroes of mine as well so uh, you, you've collaborated with uh, I mean Baxter Jury haven't you for one yeah. who yeah. I think is of similar ilk in terms of his work could definitely be taken as sort of spoken word as well as as well as music um, how did that come about, you and Baxter Jury working together? Just uh, got to know him a little bit. Um, and somebody had said that, you know, somebody had mentioned to him that I was a fan. So we got in touch and, uh, yeah, uh, I just kind of collaborated on his album. Um, did a tune with him, which really proud of, you know what I mean? I love that tune. It's on the Prince of Tears, isn't it? Yes. Army um, Milk. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, really great. Um and, you know, I've kept in contact ever since. He's a really lovely man, you know. Um, 
he's a very quiet, modest man. Uh, and um, a bit of a dark horse, I think. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, 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 it's nice to know someone like that. I was very honoured, to be honest. You know, I'm a big fanboy. Yeah, no, I do love... It's interesting that you said he's sort of a, a quiet, modest man, because I guess people's uh, impression of yourself if they were just to go by your music and performances is that you're the complete opposite of oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah he's he's awesome I, I really enjoyed that I think I briefly bumped into him he played Camden what a little tiny uh venue Dingwalls do you know Dingwalls yeah. 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 yeah yeah I think this was like 2012 and it was the first time I'd ever seen him I think it was about the time Happy Soup come out I right. Just, okay. I just remember standing at the back of the room with my like jaw on the ground. I was like, "Wow, this is yeah, a... he's brilliant. Yeah, he is really, really effective as a performer. Definitely." Yeah. Um, yeah. The other thing I was going to ask you about: the first time I actually saw you live wasn't a Sleaford Mods gig. It was I'd known about you, I think, for about three, four years and listened to your stuff. But you supported the Libs, the Libertines at um. Oh fuck yeah. At the O2, I think it was yeah. as well. Massive. I mean, how yeah. did th- how did that come about? Because that's uh, when I think Sleaford Mods, I don't put you in the O2 usually in my mind. No, no I think they're just Astors. Um, you know, I think Pete was a bit of a fan and Carl, obviously, uh, and they asked us to do it, and we said, yeah, you know. So we can only do a couple of them, I think. So we were quite busy ourselves. Mm. So we did two or three dates out of the tour. Uh, but yeah, really good. You know. Um, yeah, I like the Libertines. Uh, he's a bit of a, bit of a poet, a bit of a wordsmith as well, isn't he? Yeah, yeah I think so. You know, he's um, obviously, uh, his reputation precedes him in some respects, you know what I mean? But he's he's a nice guy, you know, from what I saw, from what I saw of him when we talked briefly, he was all right. You know, he's got, he's got his issues and stuff, which, uh, you know, I think he's trying to work through, but, um, but they're a good band, you know? And so, yeah, we thought, yeah, we'll do it. Death. Yeah, I mean, it sounded good in the O2. So yeah, good. I, I think it lended itself to, to a venue. Maybe, who knows, maybe next tour, headline, O2. <laughs> oh, you know what I Fingers crossed. So going back to your writing process, these editing questions I'd like to ask then just to, to sort of wrap up. Yeah. Um, when you've penned what what I imagine is like your first draft, say, of a, of a song lyrically, yeah. What's the first thing you do in terms of your editing process with with that? I just keep, uh, I leave it and then go back to it. Um, just keep refining it. Sometimes I don't need it at all. I've nailed it in like, you know, the first time I've kind of put my mind to whatever the idea is. Um, but then other times there'll be room for improvement with it and you just leave it and then you go back to it, you know. Uh, working under pressure usually gets rid of all that and you can just come out with something straight away, you know. Mm. A lot of the walking Mindy, the, the second verse on that, the end of it, the middle eight at the end, they were all done on the on the on the spot. So um so it just depends really. On the spot. That's I think pressure is an underrated writing technique sometimes. Oh, it is, definitely, without a doubt. Yeah. Without a doubt, you know. When uh when do you know it's time to leave it alone? Um, you kind of, you, if you've got two verses, that's it. <laughs> Unless it's <laughs> another verse. Yeah. You know, that's it. You know what I mean? Just leave it. That will do. And 
you've got enough out in that. Don't overdo it. Don't over. Don't overdose on the statement. Do you know what I mean? Um, just leave it. Just hold it back. Mm, yeah. Uh, just a little bit, you know. And if you're worried people aren't going to get it, then just fucking step back and just let's see what happens with it. You know. Uh, I think I've really surprised myself in the way people have taken to some of the lyrics that I just thought people wouldn't, you know what I mean? Uh, so, um, so yeah, uh, it's not so much less is more, but just hold back, just hold yourself back. Don't get too excited. Poetry and spoken word, you, I suppose you can, you could do like open mics to, to try things like that out. Some of the lines you've written, or, yeah. but is, yeah. I mean, is that a totally different process with you? Are you, do you, do you put sort of i doubt you put sort of work in progress songs in sets ever do you these days it's sort no of... no they've got to be done they're all we never put in stuff in there that is work in progress i mean it wouldn't be something that would uh you know it, it, it's an interesting idea but generally speaking we just put stuff in there it's done you know what i mean so do you do you have like an opportunity to to try stuff out to certain people or is, is no, it as you said you just no. literally on the on the you do it and go if they get it they get it yeah you know and it's like that we never play stuff that hasn't been released or if we or isn't about to be released so it's an arrangement between us and the record label and then we just throw it out you know what i mean the question i sort of finish up on is is a bit of a broad one so i'm gonna i'm gonna drop it on you but um poetry spoken word lyricism whatever it is this 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 idea that that people still really value this collection of words put in a certain order and delivered on stage is, you know, especially with poetry spoke word, you think that's quite odd in 2021, people are still into just hearing someone speak about things, which is essentially what you do, but, but to music, why do you think it is that people still have such a love affair with this sort of idea of spoken word? Because it's like a level of oppression that's still present and has been for the last God knows how many hundred years, you know, uh, of pressure to conform, of, you know, an authoritative government uh, of ideologies that are forced onto you, that makes you, uh, that everybody knows and can feel. And so if someone's talking about that experience uh, in, a, in a way that rings true with people, then, then I think there'll always be an audience for it. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, you know, there, there always will. People... People like to feel confirmed uh, and you don't get a lot of confirmation these days yeah. uh, from, from anything. So uh, if someone can remind you of what they're going through remotely, you've never seen them before, you don't know them, you might even not, not like what they do aesthetically, but if some of it can ring true, then, then that's great. You know what I mean? I think that's, yeah, I don't think anyone's ever answered it with that before. I think certainly the gratification of having some sort of value or view or experience reaffirmed yeah. life is, is something yeah. that, that makes you feel alive, I guess. And I think so, yeah, definitely. Well, it was it was just as good as I imagined it. Thank you, Jason, for <laughs> sitting down there. I knew I knew it'd be interesting sitting down and chatting to you. Um, Spare Ribs is out now. If you haven't Ooh. listened to it, go and listen to it. It's amazing. Also, despite what Jason may think, happy days. <laughs> I absolutely loved it. Um, I've Thank yet you. to I've yet to read Slabs uh, Slabs of Paradise. I'll have to give it a go next. Yeah, give it a tinkle. See what you think. But um, thank you so much for sitting down and uh, talking to me. I've enjoyed it.
Take care, mate. A massive thank you as always to you at home for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, please do share it with a friend. You can find us on Instagram at People's Poetry Podcast, over on Twitter at People underscore Poetry. You can find us on Facebook, People's Poetry Podcast. I'm on Twitter, JBO, that's JBO Pens Poems. And you can email us if you want to get involved with the show, if you're a poet yourself and you'd like to sit down and chat, or social media just don't cut the mustard and you want to get in touch, it's People's Poetry Podcast at Hotmail.com. Oh, 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 oh,